Welcome to Echoes of Holiness podcast. Period. I've never heard of anyone else doing it. Yeah. Brother King is a man that I love very much. And it's also a wonderful privilege to have my pastor and spiritual father, Pastor Carraway, here with us tonight. And I feel like I'm amongst the giants. And you know, it's... Uh, I wanted to say this also, that as I approach this, sometimes when I get to teaching and preaching, I may come over uh, a little overbearing at times. I guess we all do at times. But I want to say that I don't know how any of you brothers teach and preach on fasting. I have no idea. And I'm not here to battle any of you brothers. And if, and if we, or somehow or another, you preached it one way and I've come across in another angle, I'm not here to debate with you fellas at all. I was just given an assignment. Pastor King asked me to teach and preach. And he didn't tell me to take a consensus to see what everybody believed and then preach and teach what they believed. He just said, come teach. And so I'm just doing what I do. And I'll say this also, that at home church, I've got an open door policy. Anytime I teach or preach anything, and you question that, you want to know more about that, want to know where I got the passage of Scripture from, believe it or not, you can actually come to me and I won't get upset, I never get angry, and I'll sit down with you. And if you can dispute me and show me where I'm wrong, I'll come to it in a heartbeat. As you're looking at a man that was raised his entire life, Holy Ghost or nothing, he didn't speak in tongues, he wasn't saved, got caught up in snake handling, didn't believe in tithing, no Sunday school. If there's a false doctrine out there, I believe it. And so, needless to say, I was pastoring a Holy Ghost or nothing church, uh, there's been a few times that I've had to go to the pulpit and say, I wasn't quite right. Matter of fact, pretty much my entire half of my Christian experience I've had to apologize for. And so I don't know everything. I know hardly nothing. It's another example, and I'm going to have to get moving here. I'd pastored three churches, Pioneer Two, when I came to Florida. In 2003, I was evangelizing, and I had an opportunity to sit underneath Brother Caraway before we took the church there at God's Miracle Mission. And Brother Caraway did a very thorough job in teaching me that I knew absolutely nothing about pastoring or leadership. And that was just about four years ago. And here I am three years later trying to copy his pastoral style. And as I told him last night, even though he's put it here, it's not always that easy to do it. And so I've got a long ways to go. And so I wanted to say that. I, I'm no authority on this subject either. I'm just sharing with you what God has dealt with me about. It's nothing that... New, I don't think, but God has stirred my heart about this subject. Now, yesterday we dealt with not, not too many different issues, but we, we talked about uh, the flesh. Predominantly we talked about the flesh, but different points concerning the flesh. We talked about the fast, the first thing was we discussed, and three types of biblical fast that the Word of God gives us. We talked about Esther's total abstinence, a dry fast. We discussed Christ in the wilderness and the fact that He drank water probably for those 40 days, which I have felt like in my own personal life to be the perfect fast. It's not very easy. I've never went 40 days with nothing but water. And so I don't know. It's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. And then we discussed Daniel's 21-day fast with eating bread and drinking water. Now, I have never went on this type of fast. I've always went without food, period. There's been times that I've had to drink maybe some milk because my teeth began to chip after a certain amount of time because it draws calcium from your teeth. 
I have had a drink at Times Mill just to try to put some calcium back into my mouth. And I have had to drink some vegetable juice at times uh, just to keep my body moving and things working. And, and just because sometimes water gets so disgusting you can't hardly drink it. And after a while of just water, 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 water. And so I have had to do that. And I also wanted to make it very plain before I leave here, maybe the most important thing that I've got on the agenda is I want some of you that are sick, some of you that have diabetes, some of different ailments, I want you to be able to fast the way you fast and not feel guilty about it. I want you to be able to do what you do and feel like God is honoring it because He is honoring it. And I also want to emphasize that those of us that are healthy and that we can fast and we can do without food and we can do without water, we need to do everything in our power to do the best we can when we fast. Don't make it easy on yourself. We discussed in depth the warfare between the flesh and the spirit. I, I could take two weeks every day for three hours apiece on that subject, but we're talking about a warfare within the heart of man uh, between the flesh and the spirit. I discussed with you what the flesh was. The flesh is not the body. This is not what we're destroying. We're not killing this because the Bible said in 1 Corinthians, I think chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, your body is the temple of God. And Paul said if you destroy that temple God, or defile it, God would destroy you. We cannot reconcile destroying ourselves when the Word of God tells us to do so as a sin. And then I talked to you about two uh, basic ideas, two false interpretations or erroneous ideas more or less that I have come across. And a lot of things are not taught about fasting. They're implied and we pick them up down through life. We see, we hear, and we learn a lot of things. And though we, we didn't really hear it taught, we were indoctrinated by the implications of our families. And the first one was, as I mentioned earlier, that the fast is intended to kill the body. The fast is not intended to kill the body. It is designed to destroy the flesh. And I didn't get to mention it, but quickly I want to tell you the difference between the spirit, the soul, and the body. The spirit is that part of man, that God part of man, that part that yearns for God, that part that reaches for God. And we preach and we talk about a sinner man, how there's that empty void in their life. You've heard that, right? That's his spirit. It's, it's dead to God. An unregenerated man, a sinner man's spirit is dead to God. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam was a spiritual man, a spirit man, and when he sinned, his spirit became under subjection to his soul. The soul is the organ of our sensations, the organ of our appetites, the organ of our passions. In itself, it's not necessarily good or bad. The soul just is. And I've got to go. I've got to move. But listen to me. The soul will be dictated by whichever force within you is the strongest. If the flesh is subdued and is put down, the spirit will control your soul. If vice versa, the flesh will control your soul. Let me give you an example. The soul loves art. Okay, the soul loves music. Music is awesome. But if you allow your, your soul to be dictated by the flesh, you're going to listen to fleshly music. And I don't care if it is called Christian or not. But if your soul is dictated and controlled by the Spirit, you will listen to music that uplifts and builds that Spirit. And so the soul is neither good nor bad. It can, it's, it's, it's that thing that reaches and loves and has appetites and passions. But we have got to be so careful to let the Spirit dictate. And the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God through our spirit, 
dictate the soul. And then we, the body, which is very obvious, is, is this shell here that consists of bone and flesh and those sort of things. And so the first point was, it's not designed to kill your, flesh, your body. The second point is that we cannot fast with the idea that it's going to move us up in stature with God. The fast doesn't move you closer to God. It has hardly anything to do with God whatsoever. It's got to do with your heart saying, I want to talk to God. And when I talk to Him, I want Him to hear me. And so you fast and you clean the window. You clean it real clean so you've got a good view of God. And then you pray. You've got to understand, saints, God loves you. All right? He doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't. What we do, we're saved by grace. The brother brought it out last night. You can't work your way to heaven. And then we say, I'm going to fast so I can get closer to God. You can't fast your way closer to God. The only thing that moves God is you. You talking to Him. You saying, Lord, I love you. I worship you. The fast is you saying, I want to do this better. I want this connection to be cleaner. I want to be a conductor that the Spirit of God flows through and that I can hear Him and He hears me. That's what fasting is about. In the end, it brings you closer to God because your prayers are bombarding the throne of God more openly and freer. That's why it seems the fast moves God. But it's not necessarily the fast altogether. You will always move God. It's you that He loves. And when you do what's necessary to get a closer relationship to God, then it'll take place. And so all through the Word of God, you'll read. Do you think that they went on a fast and didn't seek the face of God? I mean, honestly, come on here. Let's just be honest. Do you think that if you went on a 40-day fast and didn't pray one prayer, that God is going to honor that? Let's just put it in perspective. Let's just use common sense here. Does God stand to attention because you're starving yourself to death? No. He stands to attention when His people lift up their voices. Prayer is the key to this victorious life in God. There's no way around it. Prayer, 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 prayer. But fasting, it's that, it's that tool God gives us to make our prayer life powerful. That's why a fast is for. It cleans the windows. It cleans the windows to such a way that it's just you and God. The flesh is gone. Self is gone. It's just me and God now. Nothing infiltrating my mind. It's just me and God. The fast is awesome. And we just got to do it. And we got to understand that. We got to have a good grasp on that. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to bring it a little tighter tonight. And I'm struggling with this subject because, as I've stated, I'm just one of you. I weigh 230 pounds at this, at this probably right now. I haven't weighed. I was at 260. I'm still 60 pounds overweight. And I don't know. I'm just now doing this. It's just been a couple months since I've trying to get myself under control and trying to get... So I'm here with you, okay? This is not something that I'm pretending like I've got conquered. I'm just bringing you the gospel. And I mean, last time I was here in revival, Pastor King, you don't know, but you slapped me on the stomach and said, you need to go on a diet. That was about one out of five things that I heard, not particularly about me, but involving and surrounding the ministry, surrounding how we represent the ministry. And it began to eat at me. And so please don't take me as I'm just pounding you tonight. I am right there with you. This is a struggle that's in my life, very real right now. One thing that I want to talk about is our appetite. 
Our eating habits offer us further proof of a separation of body and flesh. You see, the body needs food. It can't live without it. Jesus even recognized that. He said, man can't live by bread alone. But in that statement, he is acknowledging that man has to have bread. Yet we read about the sin of gluttony. We find in the Word of God, the Bible said, Christians were slow bellies. In Philippians, Paul said that there were those whose God was their bellies. You remember reading that? King James Version. Their gods were their bellies. Now, I want, you to, I want to leave you tonight with a clear picture of what the Bible says about our appetites and overeating and gluttony. And probably in the strictest sense of that word gluttony, there's probably not a glutton in this house. But you've got to understand, a few hundred years ago, uh, down to a couple thousand years ago, uh, those royalty, those kings, they, in, their, in their feasting halls, they would actually have trenches uh, cut in the floor and water would run down those trenches during feast times and they would literally eat so much that they couldn't eat anymore and they would vomit in that trench and the water would wash it out and they would continue eating and continue eating and so in the strictest sense that's what gluttony is all right you're probably not guilty of that in the strictest sense of the matter but we're going to talk about this appetite Galatians 5 23 the Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit the last one that he mentions is temperance. Now Paul tells us that every one of us need to be temperate. The word temperance means self-control or like I would like to say or control over yourself. And this is a place that we are affected greatly, especially when it comes to fasting. Now understand, I say everything that I say in light of there are some here that are sick, some have diabetes, and so maybe some of the things that I say, it may not apply to you, so you're just going to have to discern that. I think I've made myself clear concerning that subject. And so we need control over ourselves. One of the reasons that people won't fast is because they can't control their own self. they got no control. They've got no discipline. They can't control their appetite. They can't go very long without food because if they do, they're moody, they're cranky, they're snapping somebody's head off. I don't, I don't want to know who, but I guarantee you that there's a whole big bunch of folk under the sound of my voice. Somewhere in their life, they snapped and said, well, I might as well break my fast. Listen to me, that's why you're fasting. Don't stop fasting. When you start fasting and you get irritable and you start getting moody and those things start rising, that's the flesh in you. That's exactly why you are fasting. If you can't get along with nobody, lock yourself up in a room somewhere and keep that Bible and pray, pray, pray and fast until that attitude is gone. That's what the fast is about. But we, the flesh rises up and we don't like what we're seeing. We don't like the confrontation. So we say, I'm going to go get a Big Mac. I might as well break the fast. That means you don't know what a fast is. Instead of breaking your fast because you don't feel good, instead of breaking your fast because you're cranky, you're intolerable, you need to understand that these are the things that you need to be fasting about. You need to stay the course. Bible, 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 Bible. Pray, 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 pray. Fast, fast, fast. You will be a powerful Christian with God. I guarantee it. We need to control our appetite. Is it serious? Well, let's read what Proverbs 23, 1 and 2 states. When thou sittest to eat with the ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. Verse 2. And put a knife to thy throat. 
there'll be a man given to appetite. That's pretty serious, wouldn't you say? That's almost, that's almost parallel to what Jesus said about the eye. If it offends, pluck it out, remember? Here he says, if you can't control your appetite, you need to put a knife to your throat. What's he saying? You need to get control of your appetite. And I want to talk to us preachers just for a moment because I have to or I wouldn't be much of a teacher. I want to talk to us because in, in, in Titus 1, 7 and 8, he's talking to us, us preachers, and I've got here the last part of verse 8. He says that we're supposed to be temperate. So now we see that us, us, us preachers should be men of temperance. i got a verse I want to share with you. I don't know how you're going to stomach this one. It's pretty tough. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 9, 27. The Apostle Paul says this, and you've got to listen very carefully. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached. I never saw this before until like three weeks ago. I've quoted this over and over and over. Ah, you've got to live the gospel because if you don't, you'd be a castaway. You know, he's talking about it. He's talking about your body. He's talking about your appetite. talking about control. He said, I keep under my body, or I keep my body under. He says, I bring it into subjection. I rule and I control myself. So Paul's saying. Now this, this statement here, I bring it under my body, I bring it under subjection, it's a pugilistic term. It's a boxer, a fighting terminology. It literally is saying that you hit it in the eye and knocked it down on the ground and you subdued that enemy and made him your slave. You understand? You see, let me put it in, in, in this perspective. I could give you the definition, but I think it'd be better if I painted you a picture tonight. You, you think about a king, and he's got all these subjects under him. He says, you go, and they go, and says, you go, and they go, and a lot of them just operate because they already know what to do. If somebody gets out of line, what does a king do? He kills them. They, they're dead. Remember Joseph in the, in the prison? Who was down there with them? There's a baker, and there was a butler. They was going to die. And that's what kings did. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I have my body under subjection. I am the king of my appetite. I am the king of my desires. I am the king of my passions. They do what I tell them to do. If I say I'm not going to eat after 6 o'clock, I never eat after 6 o'clock. If I say I'm not going to eat sweets, I don't eat them. If I say I'm not going to eat bread, I don't eat it. That's what Paul is saying in a nutshell I've got control of myself and he says I beat it it's a pugilistic term he says I beat my eyes black and blue of course he's not talking about flogging himself he's talking about praying and he's talking about fasting in 2nd Corinthians 11 and 27 you'll find Paul uses the word often with the word fast he said I have fasted often and this is in accordance, and he did this to bring about the daily dying that he, he told us about in 1 Corinthians 15 and 31. And so he's not referring to his old Center Day saints. He's referring to the warfare that's in the flesh. And because it's a full-time job keeping the flesh where it needs to be. And that's six feet under, brothers and sisters. Why does he take this so serious? Why does he say uh, so adamantly, I bring my body under subjection so he can speak in tongues? Come on, I'm going to talk to you just for a moment here. Why is he so adamant about the control over self? He said, because I'm going to go preach. And if I preach, and I don't have my appetites, desires, and passions in control, 
I am a castaway. I'm a reject, is what he's saying. I'm nothing. How can I tell you about the gospel when I don't have control of myself? How can I have control of anything else? The Apostle Paul is talking to us. And he says, brethren, if we don't have control over ourselves, over our appetite, we've got no business preaching this word. A man who can't control his appetite will struggle with many other things. A man or woman who can't control their appetite stands in danger of committing a motley assortment of other sins of the flesh. They, they often lack self-control. This, this, this lack of self-control, I don't, I don't know how else to say that, but because we, we, we lack self-control, we see temper rise. When you snap at your wife, you ain't got no business in the pulpit. You ain't got no... If you can't talk to your wife right, you ain't got no business preaching the gospel. So I'll just tell her what I think. Shut up. You ain't even saved. If you don't. I don't mean that bad. But I'm tired of preachers going to the pulpit and acting like they're holy and their, their marriage busting up and talking to their wife like a dog. I mean, everybody in the house, they don't know if you're going to be on fire with God or you're going to be burning their hides or, or whatever. It ain't right. It's not right. And I'm seeing too much. I'm seeing these little, little wives come into the house of God and their husband go to the pulpit and they can't even say amen. Afraid to raise their hand because they know how he lives at home. You know what that is, brothers? It's a flash. You need to get a control of that temper, control of that anger, control of that bitterness. Amen. Well, I didn't expect it to be real easy when I came, so. <laughs> I, I really didn't. A man who can't control his appetite often has trouble with a lot of other things. Lust, pride, foolishness. Just that, that talking all the time, all the nothing serious, always foolish, 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 foolish. It's wicked. It's wicked. You need to go fasting. You need to go praying. Sober up. Sober up. Now, I want to clarify something here. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to be somewhat overweight. There's no doubt that overeating and obesity go hand in hand, but the Bible doesn't give us a scale for what everyone's supposed to weigh. There's not a book of Isaiah over there where if you're five foot seven, you're supposed to be 165 pounds, and if you're 165.4, you're going to hell. It doesn't say that. It's not altogether about your size or whether you're an hourglass or a milk jug. It doesn't really matter. It's not all about that. It's not really all about that. It's about your appetite. It's about control. Folks will look at somebody as skinny and say, man, he's holy and he's committing adultery. And so don't look at somebody that's a little overweight and say, man, they're gluttons. You ain't got no idea what they're going through. You don't know if they got a thyroid problem. You don't know if they've got genetics. You don't know how much they fast. And if you saw me at 260 pounds, you'd say, that guy never fasts. Well, if you say that, you don't know much about fasting. And that's one of the reasons this teaching is rocking me so much because I used to think that going on a fast would do it. Now I understand that it's not the fast that does it. It's a life. It's a lifestyle because you go 40 days without eating and then you start eating and then you go right back to where you was at. Amen. I'm going to talk to you tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost here. And I also wanted to apologize, Pastor King, for going over last time. I never do that. I'm a stickler about stopping exactly when. I was stuck and I had a faulty clock. I never do that. And so I ask you all to forgive me. The Pastor King gave me the 7.30, and I violated that, and I'm sorry. I didn't really have a whole lot of choice, but I am sorry for doing that, and I will stop tonight unless Pastor King says go on. Now, the Bible, though it doesn't teach anything about height or weight, 
It does teach it that overweight, overeating is a sin. And it teaches that the destruction of God's temple is a sin. And saints of God, the Bible is telling us that we need self-control. Simply that. Simply that. We've heard two morning uh, lessons on this very thing, discipleship. That discipleship is the root of that word is this, this disciple or this discipline. It means that you have control. You, and we talk about being disciples of Christ. But it goes a lot further than just reading the Word and, and wearing and looking. We have got to get control of ourselves, brothers, sisters. It's very, very serious. And I want to say the appetites aren't re either good or bad. I mean, they're whatever you subject them to. Uh, the reason I say that is because in the Word of God, they were addicted to the Word. They had an appetite for the things of God. And if we get an appetite for the things of God, we'll be addicted to ministry also. I bring it under subjection. Now, I've heard people say, well, Brother Lamb, we all going to die somehow. Well, let's go smoke a cigarette. Let's go kill you a fifth of Jack Daniels. You see, it's a cop-out. We I've heard that probably a hundred times in my life. Uh, well, we're all going to die somehow. Yeah, you are. But I want to die righteous with God. I want to die trying. Don't you? I want to die doing everything that I can to be disciplined with God. So don't let that be your mind frame. Now listen to me carefully. The body says, I need food. I need food. I need it to sustain me. It's not a sin. It's not even a sin. My taste buds love, I used to not like steak, because I was eating somebody else's steak, and I was eating it well done. And somebody taught me into eating a medium steak, and I can eat them. My taste buds like them. There's nothing wrong with eating a steak or whatever it is. It's no crab leg. Nothing wrong with that. As long as it's done with temper. Temper. It's not a sin to sleep. And it's not a sin to enjoy sleep. But it is a sin to do too much of it. You see what I'm saying? Do you understand me tonight? All right. Maybe, maybe not. But the body says, I need food. The flesh says, I love food. I love it. I want more of it. I want to eat so much my health deteriorates. I want to eat so much that I get so heavy I can't tie my shoes. That's what the flesh says. Amen. The flesh says, feed me, feed me, feed me. The body said, I already did. I'm putting out all the things that I need to control your body, but you keep on. Why? Because the flesh says, feed me more. Feed me more. Feed me more. Feed me more. That's what he's been saying to me for a long time. Lost control of myself. He's trying to bring it in perspective, saying, this is not a Sunday religion. This is an everyday thing. And really, we can, we can really laugh this off. And it is funny. I mean, I know I'm messing with you. But the subject is very serious. And so, and, and so much, some of you are understanding now the seriousness of it. It's an everyday thing. And, and we laugh because we're nervous. We're nervous. Because we eat whatever, whenever, and however we want to. And we never give it a thought that what I'm putting in me is, is, is going into the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so it's a difficult, it's, it's a difficulty. And Brother Lamb is struggling terribly bad. And I, I pray, I, I ask you to pray for me. When I saw Brother John Isaacs, he had lost all that weight, I, I knew. Well, my first thought, I said, oh, no, because I remember Brother Kyle Wilson, he had the sugar in it. And I thought, hopefully that ain't it. And I thought, yeah, he's just getting in control and that was the case and I'm glad for that may God let me do the same thing 
We need to fast. We need to destroy the flesh. We need to represent God and the ministry in the right manner. And I'm, one of the reasons I like to be back here in case y'all start throwing stuff, I just duck down behind the Bible stand here and be safe. And uh, I remember I heard what B.H. Clinton and told a friend of mine. And I didn't like it at all. I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean, I'm sure it's true for him, but it, it cut me. B.H. Clinton told my buddy, he said, uh, every morning I weigh myself. If I gained one pound, I fast the entire day. And that cut me. That cut me. That's tight. And so you just do whatever you want to with it. I just thought I'd share. I didn't say it. He said it. And it, it, it got me. Some of you are going to say, you know, all this talk. What about the blood? But I don't have time to go through all the dynamics of the blood. But I want you to understand that the blood deals with who you were. The cross deals with who you are. The blood deals with sins. The cross deals with sin. All right? And so they are both unparalleled in their own place. But the cross is so powerful. I was praying last night. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep all night. I was so pumped up from last night. And I, was, I, just, I wanted to get in the pulpit now, last night at 3 o'clock. I, I finally got in my Durango and drove downtown so I could call my sweetie. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do nothing. I was just going crazy. Just haywire. I'm having such a good time. I'm seeing this affect everybody, some in different ways, but everybody's been influenced. Some are saying, I don't know about that. Others are saying it's changing. And I like that. I want to influence. And I couldn't sleep, so I began to think. And Brother Dykes has talked about the cross so much. And I mentioned it so much, but have we really told them what the cross is? I said, God, I need a definition, and he gave me one. And it helped me. And, and, and maybe we have, but maybe this is just something God gave me. But he spoke to me and he said that the cross is a lifestyle. It's a 24-hour-a-day thing. It's a life of self-control. It's a life of self-denial. It's a life of temperance. You see, I was thinking that the fast was the cross. The fast is not the cross. The fast is part of the cross. And so when we look at it in that perspective, when we wake up in the morning, we say, I'm going to control my passions today. That's the cross. You may eat bread. You may eat a good meal. But you're careful how much you eat. You may read a good book, but you're careful how much you read that book. Are you hearing me? Nothing wrong with reading the newspaper, I don't think. This is what section. I like to read the news. I ain't caring about the comics and all that mess and sports. I throw them in the trash and pretty much throw it all in the trash except the classifieds. But... You can read the newspaper too much. You, you, they know sin talking on the phone. If I, I mean, Brother Caraway preaches against it pretty hot and heavy. But uh, he's got a telephone. He don't preach totally against it. But the fact that he mentions this lets us know that you can talk on the telephone too much. Some of you would rather talk to your friends than you would God. It's a flesh. You're too fleshly. But if you would fast and seek His face, the more you pray, the more you want to pray. Fire begets fire. Prayer begets prayer. And, I, and if, really, I, I deal with nine, hour and a half, two-hour lessons on prayer. Pretty much they're back there. I don't know how many's left. But you need to get that. If you can't afford it, just take it. I don't even have to. I don't, you don't have to tell me. Just take it. Fasting is important. It's, I, I, need, I need to go. I need to go. Gideon, 300 men, pitcher, lamp, trumpet. That pitcher is your flesh. That light, that lamp... That's the glory of God in you. One of the greatest tragedies of this hour is we got Christians walking around all over with the glory of God, the light of God in them, but so much around them that the world doesn't see it. We need to break 
that picture so the glory of God, the lamp of God, the light of God will shine out of our life. And another illustration would be that alabaster box. A life, a heart so full of potential. A life, a heart so full of this precious spice, this precious perfume. But it is, it is incarcerated by the flesh. When the flesh is broken, the aroma will fill the room. The Bible says in Psalms 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart. Save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Fasting humbles you. It brings humility. Psalms 35, 13, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. David said, I needed humbling, so I fasted and prayed. And it's important to be humble, because James said, Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace unto the humble. If you want God to accept you, you must come with humility. And when you come broken and humble, then he will exalt you. Some of those preachers, I tell you, were the worst. Can't even come to a fast convention without wanting to preach. Pastor King, I don't care if a teacher preach ever again. I'm coming to your fast convention. I may not make it next year. Something may come up. I didn't come to teach this time. I was coming whether I filled this pulpit or not. And I think it's a shame that we got preachers out there that can't come and fellowship and fast convention unless they preach. And they don't preach, they go home mad. They're fleshly. They're carnal. You ain't got no business preaching no how. Amen. How do we maintain a hell-shaking life of discipline? Paul told us in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walking, and believe it or not, this is my second message. <laughs> you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What time is it, Brother Stacy? Walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How often have we heard this verse quoted from the preacher's lips? How often have we thought upon these words, walk in the Spirit? Shouldn't that be our sincerest desire? To walk in the Spirit? Now here he's not talking about the Spirit of man. He's talking about the Spirit of God, all right? Walk in the Spirit. Two different forces are, are presented here, the Spirit and the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In science class, they taught us that to every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction, all right? And though it may not be completely and wholly accurate in the spiritual realm, meaning that you may stick your hand in sin and lose your arm. That's what I mean by that. But it's pretty accurate because Paul told the Galatians that God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So Paul gives us an example of the law of action and reaction. He says that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But on the flip side of that, if you walk in the flesh, you will absolutely fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is impossible to not fulfill the lust of the flesh whenever you're walking in the flesh. And it is impossible to fulfill the lust of the flesh if you're walking in the Spirit. Op it's action, reaction. Action, reaction. It's the law of God and it will never change. If you don't want to do the things you're doing, get in the Spirit of God. If you walk in the Spirit, you will never sin again. We sin when we get in the flesh. So Paul gives us an example of action, reaction. And we need to understand that if you do that, then you will do this. And, and if you do this, then you will do that. It's that simple. It's one plus one. 
So I want to walk in the Spirit, don't you? I mean, really have a hell-shaking walk with God. And I'm not sure which I desire greater, to walk in the Spirit or to destroy the flesh. I hate the flesh. But either way, the one will dictate the other, and it is impossible to do the one without the other. And so we must never forget that they work on the opposite sides of the pendulum. The flesh and the Spirit are not a team. They are enemies. They, because you're either going to be a spirit man or you're going to be a man of the flesh. You're either going to be a woman of the spirit or you're going to be a woman that walks in the flesh. It's that simple. You're either going to feed the flesh and starve the spirit or you're going to starve the flesh and feed the spirit of ours. Let's be honest with ourselves tonight. That's why we're here to be honest. Are we really spiritually minded men and women? Who holds a greater portion of our life? The spirit of the flesh. What do we spend the majority of our time doing? You can tell where a man's heart at by two things. Where they put their time and where they put their money. You'll tell where they, what they care the most about. And I didn't come tonight to teach some shallow, chill, cheap thrill message. I really didn't. I came with a mind to go a little deeper than what we normally care to go. Deep enough to strike something down in the quarters of your heart. I came with the knowledge also that I might be misunderstood or even offensive. Now, I'll be honest, that's a price tonight that I'm willing to pay. That I can see some of you who have went years and years and years not fasted because you didn't think you could fast. I'd like to see you reaching and getting a hold of God and saying, God, I may not be able to do it like they taught me, but I can do it like the Word of God said and feel real good about your walk with God. Boy, I feel good tonight. My prayer for you is that you can handle this and that you not only handle it, but you apply it to your life. How many here has been baptized in the Holy Ghost? How many has had a similar experience lately? An infiller. That's not a trick question. And you, everyone ought to raise your hand again. There's one baptism, but there's many infillings and a perpetual anointing. Too often people receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost and sit down and never bring anything to fruition. Never. Terrible folly has come upon our churches. The concept or ideology that being filled with God's Spirit is a one-time deal is plaguing our people. Paul didn't say get baptized in the Holy Ghost and sit down because you got it made. Paul told us in the book of Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now that word filled means to make replete or cram to be full. It's derived from a word that means to be filled. To be filled and to be filled and to be filled and to be filled every day, every hour, every week of your life. He says be filled with the Spirit every day, every second of your life. Wake up in the morning and don't you talk to another soul until you go to God and say, Feel me one more time. That's what he said. He didn't say it's one time sit down and never do anything at the church. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit so I can empower you to become a witness. Now that word in Acts 1 and 8, witness, is actually a word that means a martyr. It doesn't mean that you're going to die for the gospel per se, but it means that you ought to have a zeal and a hunger in your heart so fervent that if God said lay her down, you'd lay it down just like that. That is a disciple. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We got a real good understanding of what happened in the second chapter of Acts. 120 people in the upper room waiting, tearing for the promise of the Father. With that in mind, I want to direct your attention to the fourth chapter of Acts, verse 31. 
after God had used Peter and John down there at the gate called Beautiful to heal that lame man, they were incarcerated. Then the Bible said the Sanhedrin took Peter and John and threatened their lives and said, Never speak his name again. First thing they did, they ran back to their friends, back to the apostles, and began to testify about what God had did at the gate called Beautiful and what the Sanhedrin had told them. You know what happened? A spirit of worship broke out amongst the brethren, and the Bible tells us they were magnifying God. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. The very same disciples, the very same apostles that were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, in Acts 4 and 31, they are being filled with the Holy Ghost. The very same apostle Peter has staggered out on the streets, preached that powerful sermon, 3,000 say he was there and was refilled again. We need some saints of God that will get on the altar tonight and say I'm not leaving until I am refilled in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Perhaps someone would like for me to tell you how you can know if you're filled with the Holy Ghost. I like to tell people how you can know things. Obviously, the initial sign of the baptism in the Holy Ghost is speaking in an unknown tongue. we got evidence of that in chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19 of the book of Acts. And not only that, but nearly 2,000 years of church history. But I want to tell somebody tonight, if the only reason you think you got the Holy Ghost is because you spoke in tongues 10 years ago, there's probably nobody living in there. You're probably not full of the Holy Ghost. It's just something that you was told that you were still full of because you bow-tied and tied your tie about 10 years ago. So where's your power at? Where's your staying power? Where's that resurrection high? Three things to let you know you're full. Y'all may want to write this down. Good stuff. When something is full, there's no room for anything else. All right? If a person is full of the Spirit, there's no room for the flesh. No room for pride, no room for anger, no room for lust, no room for bitterness, no room for rebellion. If any of those things rise, you've got the flesh and you're not full of the Spirit. And if you say you are, you're lying. In order for these things to creep in our lives, the Spirit must give way to allow that thing vacancy. Something's full, it's full. The hotel's full, it's full. Somebody's got to move out for someone else to get in there. And if you're full of the Holy Ghost, these things are not there. They're not there. The man that is full of the Holy Ghost has crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. The flesh has not got any room to operate. The second thing, when we're full of the Spirit, the tremors of life, when we're shaken by life, all it does is cause the Spirit to flow out of our vessel, and you actually come out cleaner when it's over than you were before. The enemy hates. So you think the devil really likes to tear you up if he was on fire? Like I was thinking about Job the other night when Brother was preaching. And uh, I've, I've preached this because it really got me. I, I, I like to think about 15 years after, you know, Job was tried. And he got his kids and got all everything back double for his trouble. You know? I like to think about the devil coming up to God. And God saying, where you been? Up and doing throw up and down. And I like to think about God saying, have you considered my servant Job? And I would like to, I'd, like, I'd like to submit tonight, I don't think the devil has. I think he said, no. Now, I didn't consider him, not since the last time he put me all over the place. 
and uh, that's the way it is with the saints of God. If we, if we could put it on the devil like we can, like this powerful church could, he'd be real careful about how he approached you the next time. And so when you're shaking by life, it ought to spill out and saturate those around you. It ought to create what I call a Holy Ghost atmosphere. The third thing is when others reach into your vessel and pull from your supply, guess what happens again? People can't use you and put you down. They can't abuse you and knock you down. Because even those that are trying to extract from you, they don't do anything but cause an overflow. And you've got to go back to God to be refilled that they see what's inside of you. Let me tell you something. We need to be so full of Christ. We need to be so full of the Spirit of God that when this world squeezes us, nothing but Christ comes out. Nothing but the Spirit comes out. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit. When Apostle Paul is talking... In layman's terminology, atmosphere is what you breathe. It's what keeps you alive. Paul is saying that what air is to the body, the Holy Spirit should be to our spirit. Like a fish out of water, our spirit too will die, except it abide in a spiritual atmosphere. The flesh cannot live and prosper in a spiritual atmosphere. Likewise, our spirit will not thrive in a fleshly atmosphere. As we come to a conclusion of this teaching... I want to talk to you about a Holy Ghost atmosphere. How do we walk in the power of God all the time? How can we keep the flesh in subjection, crucified? How can we do that? How do we continue in the glory of God? Well, Paul gets us started. He tells us what our objective is in Galatians 5, 24. He says, and they that are Christ. Is anybody here Christ? I belong to Jesus. He said, those that belong to Christ have crucified. Now, this passage is still there every morning when you wake up. Talking about yesterday. Now, I'm talking about 30 years. I'm talking about yesterday and tomorrow. I'm talking about today. Sunday, I'm talking about Saturday. They have. And then when you close it, it's still there, and it's still talking about what you just did. It's not talking about a one-time thing. But they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Not only the flesh, but its offspring, affections, and lusts. He says that we've got to kill that which is strangling and hindering us from becoming what God has called us to be. He says the flesh must be crucified. But how do we kill the flesh? How do we mortify the deeds of the flesh? How do we slay him and keep him down? Number one, we fast. And we fast often. But I must say tonight that I don't recommend anybody fasting for a lengthy amount of times without praying. Because praying is very important and I've already discussed that. It's dangerous to do any considerable amount of fasting unless you're bombarding heaven. Because you break yourself down and you open yourself up for spiritual attack. You don't want to do that. How do we continue walking at an even keel, a balanced life? It's not when we have our high points that we never go low. A balance, an even keel. How do we do that? Paul said walk in 
the Spirit. He's, he's telling us. It's not that hard to understand. It may be hard to do it. But it's here. The equation, it's not that, it's not that difficult. The answer is in the Word of God. According to the Strong's concordance, the, this word spirit here, walk in the spirit, it's, it's a Greek word, pneuma. And it means a current of air. It means breath or blast. What Paul is saying, that we need to walk in the breath or the blast of God. We need to walk in that spirit that He blows upon us. <coughs> and so you need to let your spirit breathe that which is holy and sanctified. You need to let your hair blow in the glory of God. Our atmosphere has got to become that uh, which God has ordained to give life to us. Isaac and Ishmael cannot live in the same house. One's got to go. How many wants the Spirit of God in your life tonight? Be honest. Just, let's, let's, just help me right here. I, let, me, let me rephrase this question. In this fast convention, or maybe coming up to it, you've made a conscious decision to do whatever it takes to have the Spirit of God in your life. How about that? Because everybody, everybody, wants, everybody wants to walk in the Spirit. But there's only a few, just, just a select handful that's willing to do what it takes. And I hope and pray that some folks, I believe there are, I feel it in my heart. There's some people that's got their eyes set like flint. I will reach that mark. And that's why I'm here tonight to try to help you. The only way to crucify the flesh is to starve him out. I read a tract some time ago from uh, uh, Preacher Burkett. Something along those lines. It was about a dove and a dog. The tract said that the dog was vicious. And he wanted to feed this dove. The dove was weak and couldn't fly, was dying, but the dog wouldn't let him get to it. He didn't know what to do. The thought hit him. I'm going to quit feeding that dog. I'm going to starve him. And so he did. Eventually, the dog got so weak that violent dog, he reached and grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and kicked it out on the porch. He fed the dove. And the dove got strong and was able to fly. Perfect analogy of the flesh and the spirit. If you think that you're going to leave here and it's going to be a bed of roses and you're just going to wake up tomorrow morning and fast and pray and read the Word of God and there'll be no confrontation from the flesh, you're wrong. And the more that you set your mind to, the more the flesh is going to fight. But the more he fights, saints of God, do not yield. We need revival too bad. How do we get that dogged flesh out of our lives while it's biting and scratching and barking to stay in? You feed the dove. You starve him. Quit feeding him. And I didn't understand that pamphlet to its fullest until recently. I still don't, but I'm getting a better grasp of it. Starve it. Starve it. Starve it. Feed the Spirit. Most of our lives rotate around us. What we like. What we want to do. Where we want to go. Eat. Drink. Be married. Day we live. Tomorrow we die. It just seems to be the, the, the atmosphere of our people anymore. Always talking about living for God. I'm living for God. I want to live. God don't care nothing about you living. God wants you to die. Amen. He wants nothing of you left. All He wants to see when He looks upon this church is His Son, Jesus Christ. You know the baptism of the Holy Ghost? He never put the baptism of the Holy Ghost on any flesh. The only one He's going to baptize in the Holy Ghost is His Son. And so you've got to get broken so well that God the Father sees His Son in your life. He'll send the Holy Ghost now. Now. And that's just as simple as I can put it for you tonight. We must decrease. 
so the Son of God can increase in our lives, in our testimony, in our prayer life, in everything we do. Sisters, when you go to that mirror and you put that modest apparel on, don't do it because you want to look holy. Do it because you want God to get the glory out of your life. Amen. We need to create a Holy Ghost atmosphere in the church. Holy Ghost atmosphere in our homes. We need to create a Holy Ghost atmosphere on the work site. Walk in God's Spirit. Feed your spirit. Read the Word of God. Fast and pray like never before. Break the flesh. Deny yourselves of fleshly pleasures as much as possible. Make that flesh suffer, saints of God. Quit pampering the flesh. Quit giving it nourishment. When the flesh is eradicated, we will see the power of God, and He's going to move in our lives again. I, I say to my notes, and it may be somewhere, and if it is, I'll just skip over it. Let me explain to you, saints. You can do this every day, and I know this is going to sound trivial, but you pray about it, and you're going to find I'm right. All right? I love sweets. For 31 years, my family eats a sweet after every meal. I'm, I became addicted. Every meal, I have to have a sweet, or I don't feel like I've eaten now that's just me. I have an intense love for sweets. I love them. If I eat and don't eat a sweet, I feel like I haven't eaten. My flesh loves it. Is it a sin? No. No. I eat an ice cream almost every Monday. It's family day. My kids, they have to have an ice cream. I eat an ice cream with them. I will continue to do so unless the Holy Ghost checks me. I will stop. The flesh loves certain things. Did you ever think about just going a week and not putting any salt on your, on your food? No, nothing, just a bare food. Just eat a salad with no salad dressing. What's, what's salad dressing there for? <laughs> really? Simple things like that. But it makes your mind, your conscience at all times. I'm eating a stinking salad with no salad. Why am I doing that? It's nasty, of course. But you're getting what you're going to get. There's no nourishment in that salad dressing. But it's a reminder. Simple things. Simple things. And I know it sounds crazy, but I am right. I am right. And if you pray about it, you're going to find out it's right. I can't imagine sitting down and eating anything without salt. I cannot imagine sitting down and eating any meat without ketchup. I love it. 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 And if I made a conscious decision to go a whole week without salt because I wanted to just put it on me and make myself remember, I... I'm in control. You see what I'm saying? It would work. And Brother Lamb's going to do that whether you do or not. You may think I'm crazy. And uh, I, don't, I don't have any scriptures for that. I just thought I'd throw it out there. We're talking about doing this. You ought to know some ways of doing it. Certain things you like to read, slide them to the side. Certain things you like to do, slide it to the side. Come home every day from work and go to the middle room and just pray and read your Bible. Don't say hi to nobody. Don't talk on the phone. Don't drive that new Dodge Durango. The Lord have to help me on that one. I was thinking the other night, somebody said, what do you get when you cross a Ford and a Chevrolet? And I was thinking a Dodge Durango. Because I got one. Amen. There's a lot of ways to do this. And uh, I can't tell you exactly how. But there's a lot of things that we can do. The bottom line is that God will have nothing to do with the old man. But He will hear every cry of the new man. That's what David was talking about when he said, Deep calleth the deep. Deep, deep calleth the deep. 
that new man calleth unto his maker. Now, I remember when we had our first daughter. The time we got, brother? 17. My first daughter was born. Uh, I loved her. And, and we had a good relationship, I guess. She, I'd hold her and she'd cry. I couldn't get her stop. I'd be that mama of hers. Just pick her up with Gucci, Gucci, and she'd pick her up. I remember many times, and of course, I wouldn't even wake up sometimes. And I, 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 would, I, mean, I would wake up, and I would look over, and my wife was there with that baby. And I said, is it okay? And she said, I just heard her breathe. I just didn't like the way she went. See? I want to tell you that that's the way God is with this new creation. And that flesh can whimper and whine all night long. God will never respond. But when that new creature, he just whimpers. God stands still. And says, what do you need, daughter? What do you need, son? And that's the way it could be for us if we would just walk in the Spirit. Then after you say, Then after. They're doing all that. Immediately after Pentecost, a revival of mighty proportion broke out on the streets of Jerusalem. People from all over were bringing their sick to the apostles, hoping themselves and their relatives would be healed. The power of God was so great that every sickness, every disease was cured. Not one was not cured. Everything that came to them, they laid hands and they walked away healed. The Bible tells us that many souls were saved and added to the church. Now this is an incredible story and within it we find proof that you and I can possess an anointing of God that's so great that it actually penetrates and permeates everything around us and that they can sense and feel the presence of God when you walk into a room. You believe that? You can have a presence around you so godly that folks know there's something different about you? Well, I read here in the book of Acts chapter 5 verse 15 said, it's so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. I want you to imagine that. The man of God's shadow falling upon the feet of a lame man was all that was needed to administer healing. People were coming from all over the place. I mean, they were trying to find the right angles where the shadow was the longest just so Peter would walk by. I wonder if the old devil ever tried to put the clouds over Peter and John. I mean, Peter and John walking down the road and John say, Peter, you ever noticed last couple days? I mean, it's this cloud just here following us everywhere we go because the devil was so scared of the sun shining on that man of God. And every morning, Peter rolled out of bed and kicked his shoes on. The devil said, ah, he's up again. That's, I'd like that. I would like to have that. What's the secret of Peter's shadow? You ever think about that? We just take it for granted. We, we really know. We, I guess we do. Was this shadow special in some unknown way? Was there some kind of healing bomb permeating from the sun that time of year? No. These men and women were no different than you. They're no different than myself. The secret of Peter's shadow was that he walked in the Spirit. He crucified the flesh. He possessed a life that was so saturated with God's anointing that it touched everything that was around him. He had a heart that allowed God's anointing to rest upon him perpetually. Let's go a little deeper. Let's talk about the secret of the shadow. 
None but a Levite was allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to consider a verse of Scripture in the Psalms, 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This is a very interesting passage that reveals in more detail the secret of the shadow. As David writes these words, you've got to realize that David was not a Levite. He was from Judah. And because he was from Judah and not Levi, he was never allowed, never permitted to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And so sometimes David would pitch a tent over the Ark in bad weather. But for the most part, when they carried the Ark, when it was just the, the sun was shining, this Ark was just there. And pretty much anybody could see the Ark at, those, at that given time. But now David may not have been able to have touched the glory of God with his hands. David may not have been able to physically reach and grab a hold of the ark, but I've got, a, I've got a feeling that there were times that the sun was shining upon the ark of the covenant. It's in my opinion, so you do whatever you want to with it. The sun was shining upon the ark of the covenant, and that the, 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 the cherubim there, and there was a shadow on the ground. I can personally see David laying down in that shadow. He couldn't touch the glory himself, but he could lay in his shadow. That's my opinion. It's my opinion. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that the born-again believer is a temple of God. Our hearts are to be likened unto Solomon's temple in which the Ark of the Covenant of the glory of God rests perpetually. And because we're the temple of God, the Ark or the glory of God abides within us. As Christians operating under the grace dispensation, there's not a person in this house that doesn't have access to this experience. Every person in here can have God in your very heart and in your very soul. And so concerning Peter, when the sun shone upon that man of God, those that were affected by a shadow. They were generally sinners. Men that couldn't touch the glory of God. Women that couldn't touch the glory of God. But when the sun shined on that man with the glory of God tabernacled in his soul, everything that that shadow touched, the glory of God healed on the streets of Jerusalem. And I am preaching right now and I'm very much aware of it. Yes, I am. And you can say, hey, man, I'm going to preach this on out because I felt like I ought to. Smith Wigglesworth was preaching a revival meeting in a particular town. As he was there, an old lady wanted him to stay there in her home with her husband. Her husband was unregenerate, and she gave Mr. Wigglesworth his bed. Smith Wigglesworth went in, and that was where he abode. And she was hoping that Smith Wigglesworth's godly influence would have her husband converted. The revival came, the revival went, her husband didn't get saved. He packed his bags, he's walking out the door. She said, Brother Wigglesworth, my husband's not saved, can you stay? And he said, no, but just don't change the sheets. And he kept on walking. And she didn't understand, but that night her husband laid down in that bed. And she said, early in the morning, as she went in and cold sweat, it broke out on his forehead. And he was talking to the maker and saying, Lord, would you save me? simply because the presence of a God inside of a godly man who was broken and the flesh had been crucified and he was a man of prayer and word of God and the word of God said from Paul's apron they passed out cloth and demons were cast out with nothing but a piece of cloth amen we can have that you can have that experience if you really want it tonight. Amen. 
few centuries past, there was a woman who was so godly, so Christ-like, they documented that when she left the room, they could still smell a sweet aroma that followed her everywhere she went. Amen, amen, amen. Wigglesworth stepped upon the public transportation vehicle. A man came in behind him moments later. He fell down. Sir, what must I do to be saved? Wigglesworth said, I don't know you. I've never seen you. He said, that's right, but when I walked by you, my heart was stirred. And God said, I was a sinner. I want that kind of walk with God. Yeah, I want to talk in tongues, but I want more than just speaking in tongues. I want the presence of God. I want the Spirit of God in my life. Last point, and I'm going to shut up. Proverbs 30, 24, the Bible said there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. Verse 27 said the locust, they have no king, yet go forth all of them by bands. Now, I don't know about you Floridians, but up the home in Kentucky, we have what's called locusts. I mean, they're just little bitty things, but they are very destructive. I mean, they'll wipe out whole crops and, and trees, and they eat the the grass and nothing left. I'd like to give you just a small tidbit of trivia. There is a rare species of locust that doesn't fly very well, can't fly very well. And so you say, Brother Lamb, how do they get about? They catch a wind blowing, and a wind blowing. That, that, that locust can jump over 200 times its height, and he propels himself into that wind, and the wind carries that locust to heights and breadths that he can never attain on his own. And we got some folk here tonight, you feel insignificant and you feel like you can't do much, but can you jump? Ah, can you propel yourself into the power of God? I don't care how little you are, when you got a God, that's right, the God we serve. All things are possible to the people in this house tonight. My God, help us. You can have a change tonight. What did Jesus say in John 3 and 8? The wind bloweth where it listeth, and we hear, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. And he said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit blows wherever it desires. Can we hear the sound tonight? Where is it coming from? And you may ask, where is it going? That's not really relevant for you. All you need to worry about is getting that Bible, praying, fasting, and jump. And let God take you wherever he needs to take you. Amen. We can have a change right here, right now. Tired of the same old, same old. Propel yourself. Propel yourself into God's Word. Propel yourself into the anointing of God. Propel yourself into the into a spirit of prayer. Propel yourself into a Holy Ghost atmosphere. Preachers, propel yourselves. If you're tired of a mediocre uh, ministry, propel yourselves. Uh, propel yourselves into study. Propel yourselves into the Word like never before. But whatever you do, you've got to get up 
and you've got to let God have his way in your life. If you're tired of mediocre Christianity, we don't have to be that anymore. We can rise to the occasion and be the church of Jesus Christ, the one that he said would have power over the gate of hell. I'm actually done. Praise the Lord. Is it any wonder tonight how a ragtag bunch of folk like gathered in that upper room ended up with so much power? Is it any wonder why those apostles ended up preaching the gospel all over the world? Let me show you why. Acts 1, or 2, verses 1 and 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all gathered with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. What, what as? A rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting. They had gathered themselves like we have in an upper room to fast and pray. The winds of heaven began to blow. A rushing mighty wind came through that place and men, women, fishermen, tax collectors, doctors, ex-prostitutes, ex-demoniacs, they all in one accord propelled themselves into the power of God and it blew them all over the streets of Jerusalem. It would eventually blow them all over the world because they were led by the power and the Spirit of God and as many that are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Let us fast, saints of God, like never before. Lift your hands tonight give God some glory. I want to read a passage of Scripture. We're going to quit. What is the ultimate result of fasting? Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you. Isaiah 58, 8 and 12. Please meditate. This is what happened. First word, verse 8, then. Then. Then what's that mean? After. After you have fasted God, thy light shall break forth as the morning. Thine health shall spring forth speedily. Got any sense? Thy righteousness shall go before thee, the glory of the Lord. Brothers, I don't mean to be controversial. And I say this out of my heart. I, I, heard, I heard somebody say that we have no, no protection on our back. But what do we do when we're compassed about? But right here he said, after the fast, the glory of God be your rear wall. He's got you covered. Saints of God, when you're surrounded, now that no retreat, no surrender, that's absolutely true. We shall never retreat. We'll fight with two swords. I'm never running. And if the enemy's in front of me, I don't need nothing on the back, brother. That's right. But if you get stuck between a rock and a hard place, don't worry about it. He's got you back, Saints. Then shalt thou call. 
Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. You hear me? Then shalt thou call, and the Lord, He'll answer. Thou shalt cry, and He shall say, Here I am! If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, if, stipulation, if thou take away from the, uh, the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity, if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the And the Lord shall guide thee to the to satisfy thy soul in drought, to make fat thy bones. To make fat your bones. That's an impossibility. But now it's gone. Then that thing that looks, looks impossible, he'll make that prosper. God help us. Thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Thee that shall be of thee shall feel. Listen, all one of past. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the bridge, the restorer of the well. Praise God. That was great, buddy.